saying, ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from that works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good work of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance." seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and bristles is rejected, and is night unto cursing, whose end is to be burned." This far the reading of God's Word. We'll sing now from Psalter 309, Psalter 309. Our text tonight comes from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, to Hebrews 6, verse 8. Before we begin, let's come before the Lord once again and ask for His blessing. Let's pray. O Lord our God... We confess that there is no peace apart from Thee, just as we sing. And, O Lord, how we long for the everlasting peace that is in Thy kingdom in Zion before Thee, Lord, forever and evermore. Lord, our citizenship is not from this world, but from the world to come with Thee. So prepare us, Lord. Make us citizens of heaven. Help us to grow up in grace before Thee, and to be faithful laborers unto Thy harvest. Prepare us, Lord, to be with Thee, and to praise Thee today and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The author to the Hebrews has shown Jesus' superiority to everything else to the angels, to the prophets, to the old dispensation, how Jesus is far greater, far better than everything else. Lastly, we saw his superiority as a high priest. But now the author moves into a powerful exhortation to his church, calling from their spiritual laziness and inviting them to spiritual maturity, showing the terrible danger of being spiritual fruitless, of not producing fruit. There is an interesting parallel here from the last section to this section. 
In the last section, we saw how Jesus Christ is the Son who learned obedience, perfect obedience, who obeyed the Father. And now the author is pointing to us and saying that we have not. We, have, we are behaving as infants who have not learned obedience. We have been disobedient before Him. The problem with the hearers is that although they, they were in the age of being spiritually fruitful, spiritually mature before God, they were yet immature. That is, they had already heard the truth, they were instructed in the truth, but now they are behaving as spiritual toddlers before God. They are behaving as spiritual children, backsliding in the basic things. And now they need to have the foundations being taught to them once again, being repeated to them again. The theme of apostasy can be a complicated subject. And often we don't even like to talk about this. But the Bible does. In fact, the author will use this topic to bring a powerful call to maturity to his church, to all his hearers. And this call is what we'll meditate tonight. First, we'll meditate a rebuke against spiritual childishness, verses 11 to 14. Second, an invitation to spiritual growth, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And third, a spirit, uh, warning against falling away, verses 4 to 8. So first, let's consider a rebuke against spiritual childishness, verses 11 to 14. The opening verses from 11 to 14 presents us a picture lesson here. The image is of a baby that never grows up. And now there is a grown-up child that still drinks milk, spiritual milk. To contextualize the image, perhaps in our modern day would be a 30-something-year-old man who still lives in his parents' basement playing video games and hanging out with his buddies, not working, doesn't have a job, is not producing anything. That's the image. And we all know that this is not healthy. This is something unhealthy. And our culture is quick to flag out that there is something wrong with this. But yet we are slow to flag out spiritual immatureness. We stay like the spiritual toddler, and we never grow old. And if we stay like this, still depending on spiritual milk, there is a great danger. There is a great danger, the danger of drifting away. And that's the warning that he brings to us. The points that the author makes is a picture of a toddler. Four points. First, verse 11, they don't listen. Second, verse 12, they don't remember. Third, verse 13, they don't, they don't have skill. They are unskillful. Fourth, verse 14, they don't discern. We need to be watchful for these four things, for we all have the danger of following into these same problems. So now let's examine one by one, one at a time. So first, verse 11, they don't listen. It's not that they are not as smart. It's not that they are not intelligent, but they, don't, they simply don't listen. Like a toddler who refuses to listen or who apparently cannot, is not listening to his parents calling him again and again to do something. That's how 
the church was behaving. Because, not because it was a complex theological teaching, but because they were refusing to listen. It calls them dull of hearing. They are unwilling to hear. They are lazy in their hearing. They have a numb hearing. They are refusing. The problem is not their lack of intelligence, but their unwillingness to hear. And this is not taking the preacher off the hook here, but it is pointing that often the problem is not so much with the preaching, but with our refusal to hear the word, to hear the message. The question is not so much about how good of a preaching, but how good of a hearer am I? How good of a hearer am I to the word of God? That is where the problem of spiritual childishness is. They don't hear. Second problem, verse 12, they don't remember. Well, when they learn things, they don't retain. Just like a child that you say something and soon enough forgets how they were behaving. They need to be taught the same thing over and over again. The author says that you should be teachers by now. I mean, at this point, you should all be teachers. Teachers of all these that you have received. But here you are, learning the fundamentals once again. You're here learning this again. A sign of spiritual maturity is that you don't simply take and demand things, but you start contributing and helping others as well. But maybe for you, the church is only a place to receive It's a place where you receive things, not where you give things. You are a taker, not a giver. Just like a toddler who needs to be fed, you are highly demanding Christians. You don't contribute to anything. This is a spiritual immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. You're behaving like a spiritual child. You see, a toddler needs to eat but cannot cook his own meal. A toddler needs clothes, but cannot dress themselves or buy their own food or buy their own clothes. Every toddler is a taker by nature. But that's okay. This is expected for their age. But the problem is if we grow up and we are still in the same way, if we don't contribute to anything, we grow up in the same way. What the author is saying is that every mature Christian should be able to explain these elementary doctrines, to explain all that you have received, and to teach others, to multiply this, to help others. We are not simply consumers, but also givers of all that we have received. We cannot be in the church for 20-something years and still be just takers, not contributing to anything. 20-something years in the church and not being a strong Christian by now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we are in a race. The Christian life is like a race. And just like a race, we ought to be progressing, moving along, going further. We cannot be stuck in the same place. We need to be progressing. This is a race or, or a fight. That's another metaphor. So we need to be progressing. The big question is, how much have I grown? 
Well, the end of the year is a time of retrospective, right? It's a time that we look back and we look all that happened in this year. Well, can we look back to 2023 and ask, how much have I grown in my spirituality in this year? Have I grown at least one inch in my spiritual maturedness before the Lord in this past year? How much have I grown up in my faith? Can I say that I am at least a little higher this year, closer to Jesus Christ? God wants us to grow up, to mature, and to be helpful. Then verse 13, third problem. They don't have skill. Verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That is, it's a spiritual toddler. That doesn't mean that they are not Christians, but they are spiritually immature. They are a toddler, spiritually speaking. It's not saying that everybody has to be a, a biblical scholar in the church, no. But that we ought to grow in the Word. We need to be experienced in the Word. We need to grow in the Word. We need to be growing and learning to be in the Word constantly and be able to teach others. The fact that they are unskilled means that they have not put into practice what they were taught. They heard the gospel, but they still were not practicing it. They heard, they heard what the apostles say or what the preachers say many times, but they were still not living in accordance to it. God doesn't want us simply to be listeners of the word, but also doers of the word. To be living out the faith that we profess. The author is warning us about the danger of apostasy. And he's saying that you cannot live in a spiritual infancy forever. You cannot be drinking spiritual milk forever, for years and years, without falling away. Spiritual laziness, in the end, will destroy you. See, one of the two things will happen. You will either grow up or you will fall away and be destroyed. But spiritual laziness will, in the end, destroy you. Milk is good, yes, for a time. There is a time for it. But you need to be able to digest solid food if you want to grow up. And I'm sure most children here, if not all, have heard their parents saying, Eat your food. You need to eat your food if you want to grow and be strong. You need to eat your food, to eat solid food if you want to grow up and be strong. Well, it's the same thing that the author is telling us here. If we want to grow up in faith and be strong Christians, we need to digest and to eat solid food. To eat good food and to be strong Christians. To become skillful Christians, we need to consume good food as well. And the fourth problem is, verse 14, they don't discern. If you're not skilled in God's word, you cannot discern good and evil, verse 14. It's just like a toddler playing with a butter knife with energy outlets. It's like a spiritual toddler as well. You cannot discern what is dangerous and what is not dangerous. Like a toddler who doesn't know the difference between a bottle of juice 
and a bottle of cleaning products, you are vulnerable. You become vulnerable. You cannot distinguish what is good and what is evil, what it will actually harm you. It is dangerous for you to be not to not be able to discern good and evil. Those who are spiritually mature, those who become wiser, wise before the Lord, who eat solid food, are able to discern these things. As you mature in your Christian walk, you will grow in wisdom. It's natural. You'll become wiser. And you'll be able to discern a path that leads to righteousness and walks before the Lord and a path which will lead to your destruction. As you mature in your Christian walk, you will grow in wisdom and be able to discern good and evil. But sadly, longevity in the church does not always equate to more mature Christian. That is true that that's often the pattern. That's what you expect. But it's not always true. A friend of mine once said that it's a sad thing to grow older but not wiser. It's the same thing in our walk of before the Lord. We can be in the church for many years, but yet not be getting more mature, not growing in faith and grace before God. Some Christians might have a long time in the church and still a tiny spiritual maturity before the Lord. The hearers were living as a spiritual infants, because they were not retaining and putting into practice what they learned. A spiritual infancy is meant to be temporary. It's true, we all go through this phase, but it ought to be for a time, for a season. We need to grow up. And we will either grow into maturity, or you will fall away and be destroyed. You will either grow, or you will be swallowed up by apostasy. It will happen, one of the two. Now, imagine sending your toddler to do something, let's say to clean your room. You have all these points. All these four points, you can see if you send your toddler to do some chores. First, they don't listen. You say again and again, and it's like they're not listening to you. You need to repeat again and again. When they finally listen, guess what? They're quick to forget you send them to their room. But once they get there, they soon forget they are supposed to put, a, put together their toys. But even if they go there, if they remember what they have to do, they are simply unskilled. They cannot tie their own shoes. Sometimes they cannot clothe themselves or they cannot cook their own meal. But even when they can and when they remember, they are undiscerning. A toddler does not always know that... A, a screwdriver and an energy outlet is not a good combination. Or that you cannot run into the middle of the road. That is dangerous. Oh, that is like a toddler. Oh, and I have small children at home, and I can say that all these are very an accurate picture of a toddler. And that's okay for a toddler. That is expected, an expected behavior for their age. But the problem is that when you are a 16-year-old still behaving like a 2-year-old. The problem is when you are expected to be grown up and mature and you are still behaving like a spiritual toddler. 
you are six feet tall, but you behave like a child. Or you have a 10-year-old Christian behaving like a new convert or behaving like an unconverted at all. What the author is doing here is that he's pointing to the audience saying, that's you. That's a picture of you. You have heard. You should know better. You should be better. You should do better. But here you are. And here I am repeating the same things. You should have known better. This is why in this first section, the author is rebuking against spiritual childishness. Because it is dangerous for your soul. It will end up killing you, destroying you. Not growing up in grace is actually dangerous for your soul. It can cause you to apostatize. But after warning comes then the encouragement, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6, an invitation to spiritual growth. Verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from that works and of faith toward God. You see, leaving the principles of doctrine doesn't mean leaving them behind and abandoning them, but it means going beyond the elementary doctrines. It means that you should move beyond them. Okay, it is time to go beyond these elementary doctrines. You cannot be satisfied with milk forever. You need to get to the real stuff. You need to get to your meat and potatoes. You receive these principles of doctrine, the foundation of your spiritual building. So now it's time to build up, to grow up, to mature. Another way of saying is that you learn your spiritual ABC, and now it's time for you to start putting these letters together, reading sentences, putting all these together. And start reading for yourselves. You cannot stay in the spiritual ABCs forever. And what are these principles of the doctrine? He gives here a list. A list of examples. First, verse 1. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from that works and of faith toward God. So first, the understanding of faith and repentance which is the summary of how one becomes a Christian. Faith and repentance. This is one of the fundamental levels, one of the first things that we learn. Second, verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, which refers to the process of joining the church and then of becoming useful, serving in the church. Baptism. Third, second half of verse 2, and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. It refers to the doctrine of the last things, the second coming and the last things. The other saying that even eschatology is still on the fundamental level. And then these are the three things that he points as being fundamentals, the principle, the ABCs of faith. What you pursue is spiritual growth is an antidote against apostasy. Well, do you want to flee from apostasy? You don't want to guard yourself against apostasy? Well, grow up in faith. Mature. Become strong Christians. Do you want to protect yourselves, to guard yourself from these dangers? So grow up. Pursue maturity. Every one of us 
that are here today hearing God's word are going in one of the two directions. Or we are growing up, being mature more and more, becoming more useful for God's kingdom. Or we are little, little by little drifting away. There is no such a thing as a spiritual stagnation. You cannot remain the same level that you were. We are either growing or we are drifting away. It's the danger of apostasy. And how to grow in spiritual maturity? First, serious study of God's word. Eat the word. Digest the word. Consume the word. Be in the word. Read the word of God. Be diligent in the word of God. You want to grow more? You want to follow God as we heard this morning? Well, know more about him. Being his word. Know of him and of his commandments. And we will naturally grow in grace. Second, teaching others. When we teach others, we often learn that the one who is learning more is actually the one who is teaching. We often learn more by teaching than simply by being taught. That's a reality that happens. And the same happens with evangelism. When we are evangelizing others, often we are the ones who go back home the more blessed. So when we take what we have learned and we transmit to others, we are also going on our way to spiritual maturity. Third, be part of a good church under good leaders and the faithful leaders who will conduce you to spiritual maturity. See, just like a kid who doesn't learn in a void, but learn from others, from communion with others, from fellowship with others, from mom and, and, and dad. Well, we also as Christians, we learn in communion within the body of Christ from one another, sharpening one another with our fellow believers. It's so easy to underestimate this. So easy to underestimate the benefits of being in communion with fellow Christians, learning from one another, learning from the struggles that others already passed, learning from the wisdom that others already gathered. We should not underestimate this as a, in our pursuit to spiritual maturity. Remember, you are either growing in maturity, progressing in the race, or you are sliding down. There is no such a thing as a, as a Christian Neverland, to use the Peter Pan illustration. There is not a place in a Christian race that you can, that you can remain in the childhood forever. The author is not talking about losing salvation, once saved, always saved. But the question that he's bringing is, were you really saved? That's the question. It is true, once saved, always saved, but he's pressing on the question, but were you really saved? That's the question. Because those who were saved grow up in maturity. Once saved, always growing. Once we are saved, we'll be forevermore growing. Running the race, fighting the good fight, we will be growing. In our walk of sanctification, of progressive sanctification, we will be growing. Verse 3. And this will we do if God permit. 
Spiritual growth is an imperative. But at the same time, it's God's grace. That's a great blessing. That's a comfort for us. That at the same time that it is our responsibility to pursue spiritual maturity, it's also God's grace in our lives. It's a miracle of God in our lives. Scripture never places man's responsibility and God's sovereignty against one another. Spiritual never places them as adversaries competing against one another. No, they go hand in hand. They go together. Just like what we have here. We are commanded to pursue spiritual growth. And at the same time, we are assured that spiritual growth is a grace of God. That is the good news. That the same thing that God demands from us, He also gives to us. The same God who commands sanctification also sanctifies us. So remember, once saved, always growing, always growing, always moving forward in the race. Once saved, always growing. And with that, the author moves to the warning section, verses 4 to 8. Why is it so important to grow in maturity? Because of the danger of apostasy. And by speaking about apostasy, the, the goal of the author is not to provoke despair or hysteria in the church. Oh, am I really saved? Or can I really know that I'm saved? Or to provoke the Christians to live in fear, not knowing whether or not they're saved. That's not the goal. He's warning. He's giving a wake-up call that you turn away from Jesus Christ to reject this gospel it's very dangerous to miss the only opportunity of salvation is a dreadful thing verses 4 and 5 speak of people who really appear to be true believers by all means they were in the church and they appear to be true believers someone who really seems to be a believer but in fact is not remember an apostate is someone who appears who appears to be a believer, someone who was inside the church and has then fallen away. He's not speaking of losing salvation, but of someone who appeared to be a believer and in the end was not. That is why apostasy is so shocking. Because it happens to someone who really appeared to be a true believer. So every time that it happens, it's, it's a shock for us. Does that person really appear to be a believer, but then fall away? The list of descriptions that the author gives make clear that he is speaking of someone in the church, someone who is definitely called as a Christian by others. First, verse 4, says that they were once enlightened. And that is, they received the knowledge of God's truth. They received all the knowledge of God's truth, it was an initial acceptance of the knowledge of God and, the, and of God's Word. There was a, an apparent process of conversion happening even in their lives. But then they fell away. It's not someone who just played the Christian. Someone who we would say, oh yeah, I knew all along that that person wasn't saved. No, it was someone who really appeared to be a Christian. 
Someone who really walked in the faith for a while. Second, they tasted of the heavenly gift. They experienced the blessing of God's community. The spiritual gifts that are bestowed upon God's church, they enjoy it. They were partakers. They were part of it. They enjoyed the benefits of the community in the church. Like the manna that fell in the desert for the Israelites. Or even like the Lord's Supper that we have in church. But either way, someone who enjoys the blessings of God, he experienced these heavenly gifts, but yet was not a true partaker. Third, and the end of verse 4. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. It's perhaps the strongest one. The Spirit brings spiritual gifts to the church. And this, is someone was, and this was someone who saw these gifts in the church. Who saw all this taking place in the church. He was right there. But still the Spirit wasn't in him. King Saul in the Old Testament received great spiritual gifts. Judas also witnessed and received great spiritual gifts himself. But even having great privileges, they fell away. They fell in unbelief. That's the warning of Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Not everyone that say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. These are great spiritual gifts. Prophesizing, teaching, casting out devils. And then I will profess unto them. I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. Oh, what a moment. Oh, what a sober warning. That even being in the church, witnessing all the wonderful works of the Holy Spirit in our midst, we can be deceiving ourselves. To in the end, hear these terrible words being said to us. You can be surrounded by spiritual activities happening around you. But even so, you are void of the Spirit Himself. A lot of things happen in the church. When inside, inside you, nothing has happened. Then fourth, verse 5. They have tasted the good word of God. That is, they sat under the teaching of the word. And this might not sound like much of a privilege for us, especially not in our reform bubble nowadays. But remember that many, even until today, don't have the privilege of hearing the preaching of the word. They don't even have the Bible translated to their own languages. That's a privilege that we have, and we cannot take for granted. We have the privilege of having open Bibles in our own language to hear it. Hearing the preaching of the word 
with open doors in the Lord's day. That's a privilege. This is why an apostate is so guilty. Because he took it all for granted. All this privilege, all these blessings. And he took it all for granted. Reject it all. Turn his back to it all. Fifth and final, verse 5. They also tasted the powers of the world to come. They witnessed miracles, signs, and wonders. Like Israel saw in the Exodus as they were delivered. Or with the ten plagues, they witnessed signs and wonders, great miracles, but even so. Like the early church saw the apostles, all that they did, all that Jesus himself did. But even so, they rejected. They suppressed it. Suppressing the truth for unrighteousness. Not even all evidence in the world will convince someone to believe. It's not because someone has seen all the evidences that then finally he or she will believe. No. True belief only happens by a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural, miraculous act. We can see wonderful things. We can see sign and wonders. We can see fire coming down from heaven like in the days of Elijah and still not believe. An apostate is someone who received all these privileges. Who was in a church and received all these privileges, all these blessings, and rejected them. This is not simply the sin of backsliding. It's not simply backsliding into some sin. This is rejecting. This is receiving the teaching, understanding about salvation through Christ alone, and rejecting it. Although the warning certainly applies to backsliders too, but this is speaking about the sin of apostasy. The concern of the author is that true believers might fall into apostasy. Of course, if that is the case, they were never saved. They were never saved. But they were Christians for a while. They seemed to be Christians for a while at least. But nonetheless, they fell away. So this is a very serious warning. They had some acquaintance with the Christian faith, but no internalization. They were there. They heard. They did the things that Christians do. No one suspected them. But in the end, nothing was happening in their heart. They didn't change. As John Owen says, For this the apostates never had. And so cannot be said to be renewed again unto it. For no man can be renewed again unto that which he never had. You cannot be renewed into something you never experienced. Into something you never had. The statement that begins in verse 4. For it is impossible. Now concludes in verse 6. If they shall fall away to renew them again. Unto repentance. The abandoning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who 
come to know, to really understand the gospel, to know Jesus, to walk, and then to turn their backs, to turn their back on this, to reject this, it is impossible to be renewed. It's not referring to backsliding, but it is referring to rejecting the gospel. A deliberate choice. And for those who abandon Christ to be reconverted would be like to crucifying Jesus again and putting him to an open shame, which is impossible. What they are doing is crucifying Jesus again, humiliating him. Apostles is to come to know the Lord Jesus, but to willing, willingly reject salvation. Some might leave the church and then at some point come back and be restored. But this is hearing the message. Hearing, understanding the gospel and saying, I choose to reject this. I know of heaven and hell and I choose hell. It's a deliberate choice to reject and suppress and reject the gospel. And apostasy is the kind of sin that God handles them into their own sins. The author started talking about sluggishness and childishness. Well, this is where that could lead. This is where not growing up in the faith could lead. It could lead to apostasy. This is why it is so dangerous. This is how serious it is. For the believer, these warnings are a stimulus Stimulus for us to persevere, to hold fast, to hold fast to our profession, to run the race, to fight the good fight, to stay on track, motivate us even more, to take heed, to hold fast, to go on our way to spiritual maturity as far as possible from apostasy. Well, if, being a, if this is where being a spiritual child could lead, if me living in spiritual laziness, if this is where it could lead, I want to live as far away from this as possible. And I want to grow as much as I can. The land that receives good rain is expected to bear fruits. That's the analogy of verses 7 and 8. But if it receives the rain and bear only thorns and thistles, it's useless. It's an useless land. There is a severe Judgment for apostates. They receive all the blessings, all the showers of blessings, and they reject it. The fact that they willingly reject Jesus brings them to severe judgment. Although we know that all true believers will persevere to the end, we don't know who the true believers are. So God once warned us, and He wants us to... Heed, to take heed of this message. The warning goes to all, to all of us, to motivate us even more to want to, to, want to grow in a spiritual maturity, to mature in our faith. Don't think you can ignore this warning. This is what an apostate would do. She oh yeah, but this is not for me. This doesn't mean you can have real assurance of faith. It's not the case. But means that these warnings are for you and me also. 
a major implication in that is that all these privileges, they are not what save us. Just receiving the privileges doesn't mean that we are saved. Your salvation, salvation doesn't rest in the fact that you received all these blessings. Don't think, oh yeah, I checked all the boxes, so I must be saved. I came to a good Reformed church, checked. I was baptized and did my profession of faith, checked. I memorized the Heidelberg Catechism, checked. My, father, my parents are both Christians, checked. So see, I must be a Christian. No. Your salvation doesn't rest just in these privileges. It's true, they are a blessing. We should cherish them, but our salvation doesn't rest in them. It's about your own relationship with the Lord Jesus. How you stand before Him. How your heart is, where your heart is in your relationship. Not a spiritual privileges, but where your heart is, stands before God. Do you rest in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Or do you think that anything else could spare you from the wrath of God? In the book, The Last Battle from the series Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. We have a big surprise regarding one of the main characters, Susan. I will spare you the details, but the basic story by C.S. Lewis is that going to Aslan's country, going to Narnia, is a representation of heaven, being in the presence of Aslan and being in heaven. And as the characters finally arrive there, once and for all, someone asks, Where is Queen Susan? My sister Susan, answered Peter shortly and gravely, is no longer a friend of Narnia. Yes, said Eustace, and then whenever you have tried to get her to come and talk about Narnia, or, to, or do anything about Narnia, she says, What a wonderful memories you have. Fancy you still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. Oh, Susan, say Jill. She's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She always was a jolly sight, too keen on being grown up. Grown up indeed, said late Polly. I wish she would grow up. Sadly for Susan, in that story, all the fellowship she had with Aslan, all the adventures in Narnia, all that she had through all so many books were all childish in the end for her. All a dream. It was just like a dream. It wasn't true for her. Although she ran the race for so long, fought many battles, had many friends, Throughout her journey. And why not just say, tasted so many spiritual blessings. At the end, she drifted away. But the hope for Susan is not over yet. The end of the book is a bit open-ended of what would happen to Susan afterwards. She wasn't dead, so the hope was still there. 
Some have said that she was bound to go back to Narnia. It was still time for Susan to repent and to go back to Narnia. Susan really symbolized someone who grew up in the faith, who ran the race, who was in the church, but at some point fell away, left the faith. But through much suffering, the hope of reconciliation is not lost. The hope of reconciliation was still there. As C.S. Lewis says, once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen of Narnia. Once saved, always saved. And probably many of you have a picture in mind or had a picture in mind throughout the sermon of someone who you know or who you knew that was just like this. Ran the race for so long. Was in the church for so long. Everybody thought to be a Christian. But in the end, fell away. People who we thought were believers that ended up being unbelievers. And the warning of Matthew 7 Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's scary. That's a scary warning. And this fear is intentional by the author. The author to the Hebrews wants us to receive this sober warning with seriousness. This warning is for us. The author is not saying that we can lose salvation, but that some might look like they had salvation, but in the end they didn't. Though Judas is the classic example of an apostate, no one suspects of him. When Jesus said that one of his disciples would betray him, no one raised his hand and said, I know. I knew all along it is Judas. No. It's not what they said. They asked him, Is it me, Lord? Is it me? We are quick to point to others, but so slow to examine ourselves. We are experts to judge others. So slow to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves. This passage wants us to be slow to point to others and to be quick to examine ourselves. No one is beyond this. We need to constantly be doing this spiritual checklist, a spiritual checkup. How am I growing before the Lord? How am I in this spiritual race, in this spiritual fight? Apostasy is not something easy to predict and sometimes comes out of nowhere. And this is why self-examination is so important. The warning against apostasy is a way to probe us to take care of our spiritual condition. So don't simply think, oh yeah, this warning passage is for someone else. I wish that so-and-so was here in church to hear this message. It's for you and me. These warnings are for us to keep all of us in check 
How much have I grown? As we are coming to the end of the year, ask yourself, how much have I grown? My spiritual walk with the Lord, how closer to Jesus am I? How closer to heaven am I in my walk with the Lord? How much have I grown? Once saved, always growing. Always moving forward and growing. So grow up. Let's move to spiritual maturity. Holding one another and growing before the Lord. So that we can fully enjoy His blessings. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our God. Lord, we confess that we have so many privileges. So many blessings, Lord. Even being able to be here today. In the Lord's day of the week. To freely gather and worship thy name. That's a blessing, Lord, that thou hast given us. Of having copies of thy word freely available. Of being taught the fundamental doctrines of thy word. So many blessings, Lord. Lord, we don't want to take these blessings for granted. Lord, we want to hold fast to run the race. We want to be Christians outside and inside. Lord, we don't want to play the Christians. We want to be Christians in reality. And we want to grow up. We want to be spiritual, mature. Not to be simply takers, but also givers. Oh Lord, build up thy church, Lord. Build up thy kingdom, Lord. And oh Lord, we ask that thou would use us, Lord. Even jars of clay. Use us, Lord, for the edification of thy kingdom. Strengthen us, Lord, to take thy gospel to others around us, to souls who are perishing without this gospel. And oh, Lord, have mercy on us. If any of us turn our backs against this word, oh, Lord, have mercy on us so that none of us would turn our back to this gospel that is offered. There is only one way to salvation. And woe is him who rejects Jesus Christ. So many privileges, Lord. We cannot remain as toddlers in, in our spiritual condition. Oh Lord, edify thy church. Edify thy body, Lord. Build up thy kingdom. Strengthen us, Lord. For thy glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.